Welcome to the Find Your Best Future podcast. This is the podcast that helps international families make great decisions when it comes to university courses. Coming up in this episode, we'll be taking a look at narrowing down your choices when it comes to university selection and finding the right place for you. So let's get started. And how's life? Uh, What have you been up to? Well, I've actually had a really busy and interesting day today. Um, I spent the morning in my office as usual, but this afternoon I was invited to go down to one of Vienna's top schools. I go there every year. I've been going there for probably 10 years or more now. And uh, it was quite interesting because we did a question and answer session afterwards. And a couple of the students told me that they'd already seen our podcasts Yeah, great. Really interesting. I I was a bit surprised. I I didn't know we we had so much traction, but evidently, yes. Brilliant. Well, we better make this one good, hadn't we? I think we had, yes. So uh, this is this one's dedicated to all those guys who who, uh, already listened to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, What are we going to be talking about today? Uh, We're going to be talking about how to find your best fit or right fit university. Right. And that's a, a big subject. So we'll be covering it bit by bit. Uh, we'll probably be coming back to it um, in different sections in later podcasts. But this is a sort of overview. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Great. Okay. Let's get straight to it. But let's start with the most uh, obvious, uh, the bachelor's degree. You know, what is it and how do they differ place to place, location to location? Um, You're quite right. They do differ location to location, uh, particularly country to country. Some countries, like in North America, um, typically offer a four-year bachelor degree, whereas European countries are basing their bachelor degree on a three-year model. Um, It's part of the Bologna Accord that was signed in 1999, where all European countries signed up for the three-year model of bachelor degrees. Right. And and does that mean that, you know, three years, four years, you're getting less tuition? Is there a difference in quality or value there? Well, uh, it's, it's quite hard to judge because some universities have a lot of contact time and others little. And that right. within the same country, within the same university even, certain subjects are very contact time heavy and, and others not. But what I would say is that if a student does a four-year bachelor degree, he or she will almost certainly have to take some other subjects alongside their major. And this means that when they finally graduate, they end up with perhaps a a broader knowledge or broader education. And that would be typically a major and a minor or that kind of setup, would it? It could be a major and a minor, or it could be a major with a series of electives that the student takes for uh, a semester or a year. Okay, understood. And you know, as a as a as a student, you know, an extra year is a, is an awful lot to give, isn't it? Um, uh, what are the benefits of uh, of say um, the four year courses, and then we'll look at the benefits of the three years afterwards. I think the, the, the four-year courses uh, compared to a three-year course, it, it just allows a student a little more time to sort of settle into the university and explore different academic paths. When, when you're on a three-year program, um, when you first get there, it's all new and exciting. And by the time you get to the end of semester one, you sort of settled in, found your way around. 
and then before you can blink, it's the end of the, of the academic year. And then you're into year two, and you're already probably beginning to think, what am I going to do at the end of next year when I graduate? Because the time goes frighteningly quickly. Whereas Indeed. on a four-year program, you do have that little bit of extra time to sort of explore different academic areas without yeah, quite so much time pressure. And there was a dad, I, I, you know, my son's just completed a four-year course here in Canada. And um, I must say, I was, I was a little bit skeptical, you know, whether he was actually going to get the additional value add. But, but there's also the benefit of, of just growing up an extra year, you know, um, uh, being more mature, understanding what you really want when you finish uh, is important. And as you say, you know, some students are 17, 18 when they start. Um, if you're doing a three-year course, yeah, it's pretty. You're still pretty young uh, uh, to be making life-changing uh, decisions. Yes, I mean you. You raise a good point there that during the, uh, the the years that you spend doing your bachelor degree, hopefully you'll find your your direction and have some clear idea about where you'd like to go and work, or perhaps which area you'd like to go and do your master's degree in. And right. if a student is there for four years and with increasing maturity and perhaps also access to uh, a lot of input from different professors and lecturers, uh, it's more likely that they'll be able to find their way. So it's really a question of preference and choice. Uh, uh, quality differences aren't necessarily there, although you know, four years is four years and three years is three years. And, uh, and so there must be, um, you know, some kind of difference. Uh, uh, you're not really comparing like with like. Is that right? I think, I think in terms of quality, I, I don't see any big difference between the two. In terms of quantity, then certainly, because you right. have that extra year of study. And as I indicated, you're probably going to be taking electives or minors or, or, or other courses, either as part of your program or just voluntarily, because you okay. you find an interest in the subject and you happen to have an, a spare hour or two in your schedule. Indeed. So, okay, so that's the bachelor's degree. That's the, 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 the route that 90, 95% of students would traditionally take. Um, there are also other degrees. There are, there are two-year associate degrees. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, um, a lot of colleges in the United States will be offering a, a two-year associate degree. In the UK, it's called a higher national diploma. And these, these two-year programs um, can be taken as a standalone um, academic qualification. Or at many universities and colleges, um, if you wish to, and you meet a certain you know, academic level in terms of your grade average, you then have the option of adding on a third year and trading up and making it into a full bachelor program. Okay, and what kind of courses are these normally? Are they vocational? Are they technical, or are they, um, or they do they cover the whole spectrum of um, of courses similar to university courses? Um, they're not usually vocational in in the sense that that you go there and train for a particular job. Um, they are they are more academic programs, I would say, but at a slightly lower level than a bachelor's degree, in, right. in terms of in terms of content. And again, my my experience here in Canada is that uh, you know there are there are a range of two year degrees uh, here, uh, but they tend to be more associated with a specific 
um, area, uh, be that logistics or be that, uh, I don't know, hospitality or catering. Um, uh, certainly uh, here there's a, a, a range of those two-year offerings as well. Um, so uh, they offer a, a way in perhaps for students who have um, not quite the grade profile that they would you know, like to have. Is that correct? Yes, uh, certainly they, they do offer a way into a, a particular job, a sector of the job market uh, for students. Right. Um, and and, course, and but, in terms of grades, if if you you know if you're not where you want to be, uh, would an associate degree uh, be be a good option um, with potentially a, a, a an add-on year? Yes, indeed. Um, I've had many students go down this route where they haven't really had the grades to go straight into a bachelor program at a university, so they've right. gone and done an associate degree or higher national diploma, as the British call it. Um, in a, a college, and then they've transferred into the local university mm -hmm. um, for their final year, third year, and graduated with a full university degree. So that's a, a, a really uh, a top tip. Um, yes, it is. For students who are uh, in a, the, the bottom range, end of the range in terms of grades, um, a really uh, powerful route to, to get to where you want to get to, but do it in a different way. And of course, very often these associate degrees, these two, two year programs uh, offered at colleges tend to be cheaper than, for example, paying full tuition fees at a university. Indeed. Um, it's it's, it's a, not exactly a well kept secret. It's fairly widely known that in the United States, you can go and do um, a two year associate degree at a community college. And right. then you can trade up to the local state university and finish up another two years for a four year bachelor program. The advantage yeah. is that these community colleges are typically sort of five, six thousand dollars a year. And when you think what a, a university might cost you, uh, that's already a substantial saving in money. Indeed. It makes a significant difference. It does. Okay, so yes. we've gone we've gone three, four years, we've got two years. Let's go down to the to the sort of one year diploma. What do they look look like? What do they offer? And are there any routes from, from there? Yes, these, these one-year diplomas tend to be focusing on a, a certain sort of uh, job. Um, like uh, maybe you want to go into some particular trade, in which case the one-year diploma might be structured in such a way that you spend perhaps two or three days a week right. at college and a couple of days a week actually out there learning the trade, learning the job. Things like electricians, for example, uh, those sort of trades. Yeah. Okay, and and for international students, do they generally qualify for for study visas with a one year uh, course, uh, or are there challenges there? Uh, depends which country we're talking about, but generally, yes. In order to okay. get a study yeah. a study visa, an international student has to be accepted onto a recognised course at a recognised college, and that way he or she can get a visa to go and study. Right. Okay. Good to know. And then, you know, the other thing that uh, is often discussed is the foundation course. What's the difference between a, a one-year diploma and a foundation course? Uh, foundation courses are, are quite often referred to as year zero. So it's a year on the front of, for example, a three-year bachelor program. Now, these are attractive for students who would 
not otherwise qualify to go to that particular university because maybe their grades weren't high enough, perhaps they didn't take the right mix of subjects, perhaps they took maths at standard level or higher level, for oh. example. Um, I found them to be quite popular with students um, pursuing engineering in the UK. Some of our students uh, clearly won't get into the top engineering universities because of the problems I just outlined, but they will be accepted onto a foundation year. Uh, and then assuming that they pass the foundation year, then they're able to move smoothly forward into um, the, the bachelor program. Yes, I have experience there as well. And these foundation yeah. courses uh, help. Uh, obviously, engineering is, is one specific area. Also, students who maybe don't have the language level um, required to study a certain subject. Maybe they're, they're coming with a second or third or fourth uh, language uh, English. Um, it's often a good way for them to, to develop their confidence in language and general writing skills as well, is it not? Yes, it, it's an ex actually an excellent opportunity for, opportunity for students uh, because they can plug any gaps they might have academically, whether that be uh, that their English language skills are not high enough or perhaps they, their math skills were not high enough. Whatever it is, they are able to go in there um, and in the foundation year, they can catch up on, on these skills. And they usually have time to study some other things as well. So right. it's, uh, it, it's an interesting and varied experience, I would say, on the foundation program. So a, a pretty powerful option for students who uh, maybe little, may need a little bit more time uh, before they were to enter a full bachelor's degree. Yes, yes. Okay. And then finally, we have sort of training for particular jobs, uh, very specific areas. Um, I don't know, you mentioned electrician in terms of one-year diplomas, but maybe there's nursing or, or other things. Could you, could you um, highlight them? Yeah, nursing is actually a very good example because um, it used to be the case that you could train to be a nurse and the training was perhaps considered to be lower than the academic bachelor degree. But nowadays, yeah. you'll actually go and do a bachelor degree in nursing, plus, of ah. course, all the practical as well. Okay. So uh, more aligned with something like teaching, for example. Yes. Yeah. Good okay. analogy. Yes, it is. Indeed. Okay, so now we've got a picture of what the possible options are. What practical steps should you take to select that university that's the right one for you? Try and make a short list. Now, I often get asked, how short is a short list? <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there is no magic number for this one. Uh, clearly, it should, not be, it should not have too many universities on it because depending on which country you apply to, you, you may be restricted. In the UK, for example, you're only allowed to apply to five universities. So Indeed. if you are heading in that direction and you make a shortlist, eventually your shortlist is going to have five universities on it. So th there are some constraints on you when you're making a shortlist. Uh, but it is important to actually write down the list of universities that you're seriously interested in. And that's an important first step, I would say. Right. And for students who are thinking of applying in multiple locations, how should they go about this? I mean, if, if, you, if you really aren't location specific, 
then theoretically you could have a short list uh, for USA, for Canada, for UK, for Europe. Um, and I know that I know quite a few international students who are in this position and it can become quite uh, confusing. Yes, it can. Uh, most of the students I work with are actually in this position and right. they do they do apply to multiple countries. And it's fairly obvious that once you start applying to multiple countries, you're going to be applying to well, multiple universities. <laughs> and the number can very soon rise and in some cases go out of control, I would say. Now, there are some Indeed. schools which have a policy, a school policy, whereby they'll only let you apply to X number of universities. Uh, the school right. where I work actually doesn't. Uh, we, we have a, an, an open policy, but I, I do encourage students to be responsible because a lot of students underestimate how much time all this is going to take. And well, we'll be coming back around to that, won't we, uh, yeah. in uh, subsequent po podcasts when we look yeah. at the, the application process. And I think your, your words are very wise. Uh, it's easy to write the list that has 20 places <laughs> on it. It's less easy to, to follow all the deadlines. And we'll come back around to that. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, assuming that, that, that you're looking at, well, you are a huge number of universities, what sort of priorities should you set? What should you do? How should you uh, filter? Um, uh, you know, in order to come up with that shortlist. Um, yeah, we're talking about shortlists, and, and I'm just thinking that in terms of priorities, uh, you can make a, a very long list of, of things that you could look at when you are searching for a university. Uh, but I would say probably start with you because you are at the centre of all of this. What Indeed. is it you actually? What is you actually want from university? Right. Um, and so. You, you need to sort of think a little bit about what you want, your priorities, your personal And I think, think um, you know, also what you're prepared to compromise on, perhaps. Yes. Um, very often students find their dream university and then they realize, oops, I don't have enough uh, grades to get in or perhaps not enough money to get in or perhaps my parents won't let me go so far away from home. I'll have to right. compromise and go to... A different university, maybe closer to home, maybe with lower admissions requirements or cheaper. There were lots and lots of factors in searching for universities. Indeed, and so those those compromises, um, you know, are really important, aren't they? When you're when you're looking at it, everyone can dream, uh, but it's about uh, translating that dream into reality. Um, and I think uh, that's an important step. Uh, for, for 15, 16, 17 year olds to, to understand. I mean, uh, personally, as a college counselor, I, I always encourage my students to follow their dream, but I always make sure that they have a realistic plan B because often I can see from their grades or other factors that their chances of going to this dream university are, are quite slim. Um, so I, I really talk to them and encourage them to have a, a broader spread of universities on their short list. Indeed. Now let's drill into the most important priorities. Obviously, number one, I guess, is cost. Um, not for everybody. No? Of um, course. For the parents, no, certainly. Depends yeah. which school uh, you go to yeah. and yeah, if yeah, you're lucky enough to have rich mum and dad. Indeed, you're right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, find that 
some of my students overlook a little detail like costs because they're very young and they've never really had to do any budgeting or pay I guess that anything. was where I was coming from. Yeah, I'm sure you were. The awareness, um, or the awareness of costs. Awareness of cost. I actually want to encourage these 17 year, 18 year olds that I work with to be aware of how much is, is being spent on them, even if the parents or the father's or mother's employer is paying for it. I, I try and tell them at the end of the day, someone has to pay for this. And I think if you are receiving tens of thousands of dollars worth of education every year, you could yeah. at least be curious enough to find out exactly how much it costs and who's paying it. So I make them fill out a form and bring it to my office, whereby they have to list some basic facts like how much is housing, how much is tuition fee, how much is the air ticket, just so just to raise awareness. But cost okay, is so, not right. So cost is there. Yeah. What else yeah, is, is. Uh, would be an um, important priority? Um, well, the academic program uh, that has to yeah. be right. Um, of course. And it's very very important that students look closely at the academic program not just glance at the title. Um, Indeed. I mean, the devil student, is really in the detail, isn't it? It is, yes. And, and I think as a student, you really need to go in and look very closely at, you know, what units do you study year one, year two, year three, and ask Indeed. yourself, is this what I want? Does this interest me? And if the answer is yes, then you can leave it on your short list. Yeah, it's about, and if you're not excited about it at the beginning, then uh, the chances of being excited about it in the middle are, uh, uh, are pretty slim, aren't they? Yeah, you have to imagine, you know, a year and a half down the road, it's a cold winter's day, it's a really late lecture. Indeed. And Indeed. you're sitting there thinking, oh, gosh, am I bored with this lecture or not? You know, you have to, I know it's difficult to plan ahead that far, but you do actually have to study a subject which interests you because you'll be Indeed. spending thousands of hours studying this. And what about, you mentioned location. Yeah. Location is something which often gets overlooked by students uh, when mm. thinking about university. They, they focus on, obviously, the academic program and maybe the rankings. But location is very important because you do actually have to go and live there. You're not only going to study there. And some students love the idea of being in the middle of a big city like London or New York whereas others would get, rather go to a, a campus university or a small rural environment. It's a personal choice, but it's, it, it's really important that you, you get it right yourself. Indeed. And, and sometimes, of course, location is linked to you know, where your family is. Um, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, perhaps uh, uh, where an uncle or aunt is nearby or, or you have connections. And I think, uh, you know, that shouldn't be underestimated either. Uh, when times are tough, having someone who you know uh, nearby who can help you out and, and fix something is often really important. Very important, I would say. And, and this is presumably something that your parents will be talking to you as a student about. Um, because pa parents, I mean, obviously, there's a certain amount of worry and anxiety when parents say goodbye to their son or daughter, 18 year old. Really? <laughs> oh, come on, Neil, you're a parent. <laughs> oh, that's the worst, the worst moment of my um, of my parent uh, life. Uh, but we, we won't go into that right now. Maybe we do a special podcast for parents <laughs> around around dealing with that. I think it's a, a very, very, very important issue. And for students, perhaps. Um, yeah, I mean, anyway. For, 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 I mean, for, for, for all those of you who are listening, as a sort of a little aside, 
both Neil and I are parents, and we both sent our sons away to university. So you parents listening, we actually know how this works, the, the reality <laughs> of it. So we've got the most important priorities, but there's a whole range of other factors that need considering. Um, maybe the most important of which, or the most uh, pressing of which, is housing. Yes, indeed. Um, I actually made a short list before this podcast started of other factors, and my short list just kept growing and growing. And we were talking okay. just now about short lists. Um, however, you're quite right. Housing is very important because, as we said just now, you don't just go to study. You also have to live there. And the availability of housing in, in some locations is quite a problem. Like there just isn't enough housing for the students who are looking for housing. Um, some countries, some universities guarantee housing for the whole three or four years. Some places Which is guarantee, significant. It is, yes. Some guarantee housing for the first year, particularly for international students, because they recognize that you're going to land at the local airport in a country which you may never have visited before and you clearly need some support and the first thing you need is the bed to sleep on that night so therefore they, they need to put housing in place for you it's worth checking on housing when you are researching universities check on the availability of housing whether it's guaranteed and also then start looking at, at the different types of housing universities especially campus universities often have different uh, halls of residence or dormitories at different levels of luxury and, and of course, different prices as well. Um, so shop around a little bit. But as a little tip, as far as housing is concerned, get in there early. Book your housing yeah. as early as possible. Really important. And maybe we'll come back round to this whole area of housing because it it is critical. And, and you know, I, I know from, from friends of ours, uh, uh, we have a friend who um, is studying in Holland um, in a town where the housing is critically short um, and to the point where there are actually students um, sort of five months into their courses still uh, sleeping in cars and vans and stuff because they or on people's couches because they just mm. haven't been able to find uh, accommodation and they left it too late uh, to uh, to apply. So, um you know, depending on, on the location. Uh, I guess it's fair to say that urban universities, uh, it's a more critical area than than campus rural universities. Is that right? Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, it, it depends okay. on the general overall housing situation in that city. But if you go to a, a university that's in a, a very small town, a rural area, um, apart from the housing which is on the campus, there's not really very much available Indeed. off campus nearby because the town itself is very small. There's very few houses there. And yeah. this is another factor, but this is something that you need to look at carefully. And, and if necessary, uh, contact the university housing office. They will always help you and advise you on this. Wonderful. Next up, language of instruction, perhaps? Okay, quick one, this. Um, do you want to study in English or do you want to study in some other language, like your native language? Or um, both. Or indeed both, yes. There are programs where they are split. You, you do half your program in, for example, Spanish and half in English. Um, indeed. Yeah, 
your choice really i mean the students i work with have been in our school for a long long time and educated in english they, they tend to just follow along and go to an english medium university but occasionally we have someone who prefers to go back to his or her own country and study in that language i've noticed that in some uh universities they sort of sell their course as a english language course but when you dig in, you know, it says it's taught in German and English. Um, uh, again, the devil can be in the detail, especially in the European um, universities. Yeah, I mean, I've come across this many times. Um, I think probably the, the search filters are not doing a very good job. Because you really need to know because... If you speak English and you get really excited by the course, then you see half of it's taught in German and you can't speak German. Well, that's the end of your plans for that course. Um, yeah. So you, you do have to look carefully. And perhaps, I, I don't know, but perhaps in places like uh, Quebec, where there's a, uh, a mix of, um, of languages, again, just, just bear in mind that, that uh, courses um, may have elements of a second language uh, involved uh, or a language requirement, indeed, depending on the location. Um, anything else, uh, Jeremy? Um, I think we pretty much covered the language of instruction here. Um, right. What else could we, you uh, uh, highlight for us? Well, perhaps we can move on to the culture of the country. Um, right. All of you listening have come from somewhere with a particular cultural background. Um, do you want to step outside your your comfort zone and go somewhere which is radically different from what you're used right. to? Or would you rather go to a country which is basically fairly similar? As an example, what I mean, if you study, if you're German and you move across the border into the Netherlands uh, or go to the UK, it's all European culture and everything operates pretty much the same. But right. if you are German and you took yourself off to let's say, Japan, Hong Kong, somewhere in Asia where the culture is clearly different, um, that would be both challenging, I think, and exciting. You would certainly learn a lot by doing this, but this is something that you have to think of, um, how far out and, of your comfort zone you want to go. Culture is also probably one of the reasons for the growth of um, international satellite universities, uh, for example, in yes. Dubai or, or in Malaysia, in that um, parents' families uh, often want uh, to have a Western-style education, but leaving, for example, the Middle East, uh, for many students uh, may be difficult or uncomfortable, and so therefore um, you are able to find nowadays options that are closer to home but still offer high-quality education. Is that not the case? Yes, it's been a very interesting development in the last few years. I mean, you, you mentioned some of these uh, Western universities from the UK, US and other places who have set up campuses in, in the Middle East uh, to provide a Western education to local people who, for one reason or another, would prefer to stay closer to home. And Indeed. So therefore, and, you know, it, standouts are sort of uh, yeah. uh, New York University, uh, a really yeah. high profile American university. That, that has invested heavily, has it not, in uh, international campuses? They have indeed. I mean, they have a wonderful uh, campus in Abu Dhabi. It's, it's, it's very splendid, I would say, especially with world the World class, indeed. Uh, more and than so, world class, you know, I would uh, say. Uh, 
Yeah. So culture can be a limiting factor, but if you, you know, if you have parents who or yourself just not comfortable with leaving the region that you're in or the, the region that your family is based in, there are then other options that you can look at. I think it's really important when you're choosing the university to understand that it's an emotional decision as much as the academic one. Yes, I mean, we're sort of talking really about people probably traveling long distances from home, many, many hours in an aircraft and landing in a country that they may never have previously visited, where everything is different, everything from the people to the climate to the food. Um, and it, it does take some adjusting to, especially if you're a young 18 year old and you've never really been away from home before. That's quite a lot to cope with, as well as settling into a university and getting stuck into your studies. That, that's a lot that happens very suddenly. So let's, let's get really practical now. Let's talk, uh, uh, okay. I don't know, internships, exchange programs, you know, those kind of things, summer programs, because obviously they are, are really uh, important influencers as well, yeah? Yeah, a lot of students actually take a summer program at a particular university because they want to try out the subject and ah. also try out the university. Uh, just spend mm -hmm. two or three weeks on the campus during the summer vacation right. while they're still in high school. And sometimes they get really excited and they come and tell me, oh, I really, really want to go and study there, which is wonderful. Um, but in terms of, of the other aspects of universities, you need to check to find out whether the university offers you internships. This is where you can go and work as part of your program, as part of your, your degree course. Um, maybe the university has exchange programs with foreign yeah. universities, and a lot of universities do this. Um, they have very close links with universities in other countries. Um, so this is also quite exciting a possibility for you. Yes, it's a really um, yeah. important uh, aspect to consider that isn't actually often I mean, sometimes it's embedded in the core structure, but sometimes it's at the university level, isn't it? So you need to uh, make sure that you're looking, uh, when you look at a university website, you're looking at the course-related exchange programs, for example, but also go to a different level and look within the university itself. Yes, um, some courses have an exchange program embedded in them or an internship embedded in them, and then mm -hmm. it's very clear what the options are. It will list which companies you might go and work in if you're doing an internship. And it will also list um, which universities you could potentially go to for a year as part of an exchange program. And we mentioned, uh, I think in the cost podcast, uh, part-time work um, and being able to earn some money on the side uh, for many students, uh, who are trying perhaps to, to, to seek uh, financial independence or, or they have to pay for their course themselves, or indeed they want to put together a little bit of a nest egg uh, for uh, their, their first years of, of work is really important, isn't it? It is. Uh, sometimes it will make the difference between whether you're actually able to go to that university and afford the, the, the fees. Um, Part-time work, um, it depends very much on the local labor regulations in the country of the university, uh, and also on your nationality as well. Um, because, for example, if you're an EU citizen, you can go and work in any EU country, there's no restrictions. But right. for most students, uh, there are going to be restrictions on 
how much time you are able to work. This is all set out by the law of the country. Um, very often you'll be restricted to 20 hours a week during the semester time. But realistically speaking, if you're going to be doing your academic program, um, you don't really want to be spending more than 20 hours a week uh, working for money because otherwise your studies might suffer. Um, some countries exactly. allow you to, to work an unrestricted number of hours during the university holiday time. Um, some places restrict your work to only on the university campus and not out in the local economy in local city. So there were Indeed. lots and lots of variations here. But we could say, I mean, again, given my sort of superficial North American experience, uh, Canada is very relaxed in this regard. You have a student visa, you can pretty much work uh, as, as, as and when you want to. And for many students, that's a, a really valuable source of income. In the States, it can be a lot more challenging uh, depending on uh, uh, where you come from and, uh, uh, and the local situation. Is that right? Yes, it is. I mean, you, you, you have to look carefully at the terms and conditions of the visa, which allows you to be in that country and studying in that country. Because Indeed, I, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of a, of a case of a student who used to be at the school where I worked at who was Filipino, who got into a university in the States, uh, but then found out that she was not able to work at all um, mm. and eventually then moved to Toronto to, to yeah. study uh, because uh, the conditions attached to the visa were so tight in her, in her scenario that uh, it meant that she wasn't able to afford to stay in that course. So these things are, are really important when you're, you're looking at uh, selecting the right university for you. Um, okay, the big one, the one that, that <laughs> all students spend their, their time, those ranking sites. We'll come oh, back to rankings, rankings properly later. <laughs> We're going to do a whole podcast on rankings, uh, uh, at least one podcast, because they, they have become uh, obsessions uh, for many students. But, but, but let's sort of superficially put rankings in context when it comes to university selection. You're quite right. A lot of students pour over the rankings and they're, they're trying to, to look for the edge, the advantage, the, the wonderful university to go to, which is highly ranked and, and has easy admissions requirements. The magic uh, the ma ingredients. Yes, yes, it's sort of square the circle. Um, Indeed. I mean, rankings are something that most students are aware of. Um, I would say that they do serve a useful function up to a point. Uh, what I say to my students is this, that rankings are useful in the sense they will show you where the top 20 universities are, where the next 20 are, and so on. But please don't think because a university is ranked number seven, it has to be better than the one that ranks number 12, because no, rankings please. flip round year by year. And then you also have to ask yourself, what data was used to compile the rankings? And um, you can find all sorts of crazy rankings like, the happiest university in Europe, uh, number one. I mean, how do you measure that? I, I don't know. Who do you ask? Uh, it's, uh, Completely. it's I've a seen bizarre one. Extraordinary uh, rankings. <laughs> you know, as you said, the 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 the, the happiest small university in the UK. Uh, I saw one recently, uh, uh, just so that you could be in the top ten. 
I've also seen ones that say things like um, in the top 10 of the of the uh, second 200 universities or something. So, <laughs> but, so basically, it, it's number one uh, in perhaps, yes. or number 201, I should say. Uh, but yes, but I think the other thing with rankings is that these sites are actually making money. Oh yeah, and and so either through affiliate links, where when you click through to the university, there may be a a deal there, or through advertising, uh, and so just be aware that that uh, you know these sites uh, have a reason to attract you there. They're not just being benevolent uh, uh, and kind in providing you this information. Perhaps uh, that's important as well. Yes, I think that if you're going to use rankings, then. Yeah, take them with a pinch of salt. Uh, they're, they're, they're only an approximate guide uh, right. to the relative worth of different universities. Okay, so let's get back to, to, to universities themselves. Um, you mentioned earlier electives, and, and, and I think it's worth thinking about that because the electives can really enrich your course. It can indeed, yes, because if you are going to take a course, let's say you're doing economics, um, and clearly the focus of your time and your schedule is going to be on economics. But the university may encourage you or even require you to take what we call electives. Now, you'll probably have to take X number of electives and get X number of credits in order to finally graduate. And there will be a list of electives available to you. And this Great. is quite exciting because at a big university, it will be a big list. And you can actually go and dabble in all sorts of interesting uh, subject areas which might not have no or any obvious uh, connection with economics, your major. And so it's really a chance to sort of explore new areas, new academic areas. And I think it's really important to mention as well that these um, electives can really enhance your um, your experience of education, also your preparation for careers. For example, you mentioned economics. Uh, it's a good one. Um, uh, but by doing uh, sustainability courses, for example, courses related to sustainability and how uh, uh, sustainable businesses function, you can actually uh, make yourself a far more attractive proposition. Uh, or, for example, you know, uh, if you study theatre studies, perhaps doing some business units that mean that um, uh, a future employer could see that you were capable of um, understanding the business side of a theatre. Um, so I think they, they have a, a, a powerful use there as well. Don't you agree, uh, Jeremy? I agree entirely, Neil. Um, I think that they're very useful in sort of uh, building up your, your CV, your resume, uh, because as you just indicated, it, it gives you the opportunity to um, hone or acquire some wider skills which may well be useful uh, later on when you are applying for a job or perhaps when you're already in a job. And, okay, so we, there are electives and then there are joint degrees. And I'm, uh, is that two degrees or is that sort of a, a degree where uh, you study two subjects in one degree? Um, it's usually a, a degree where you study two subjects in one degree. For example, biochemistry, you'll be doing biology, you'll be doing chemistry. Now, okay. how it splits out um, is the interesting factor to look at when you're researching this. Is it a 50-50 split between the two? On a joint degree, it normally is. 
But okay. there are other degrees which are called major and minor degrees. And as the title suggests, one, one of the subjects, one of the two, is uh, the foremost one, the major one. And the minor, you'll be spending less time doing it. Now, the time split varies a lot. It might be 80-20 or 70-30, something like that. But you, you do need to have a little look at this. And joint degrees are popular in the UK and major and minor. I certainly know I've read uh, a lot about that in North America. Is that yeah. correct? Uh, major and minors are very popular in North America. Joint degrees, well, they're quite popular everywhere, I would say, uh, particularly when right. students have a, a, a typical sort of direction of interest, like a science direction, but they don't want to restrict themselves to just doing chemistry or just doing biology. Indeed. Okay, we mentioned um, visa restrictions earlier in regard to uh, earning money, um, but visas are really important here in the choice of uh, university, are they not? They are, yes. Um, you need to make sure that the university is going to, or the government of that country, I should say, yeah. is going to issue you a visa. Sometimes governments impose restrictions, like they won't issue visas to citizens of this country or that country. Um, it's rather unfortunate if you happen to fall foul of this, but it could theoretically happen. Hopefully it won't happen to you, but you do need to check ahead of time. I mean, the um, most uh, recent example of this was obviously the visa restrictions imposed by uh, President Trump yeah. uh, on yeah. um, um, certain Middle Eastern countries uh, uh, that, that cause chaos. Um, and um, I think the other thing to say is that the university isn't necessarily uh, the um, sole provider or indeed the authoritative provider of information in this regard. Uh, the government can change its rules whenever it wants to. Is that right? Yes. Uh, governments are, of course, a law unto themselves. Um, hopefully, uh, responsible governments would uh, honour a visa commitment. If you go there in year one with a student visa, we would certainly hope that the government wouldn't pull the rug from underneath your feet um, halfway through the course uh, and refuse to renew the visa. But um, it's, it's a little difficult, of course, to foresee such a situation. I think really um, in terms of visas, I mean, we're, we're talking really about extreme situations here, um, but for the most students, you will obviously have to apply for a visa if you go and live in someone else's country. Um, there are a couple of exceptions, uh, like the EU citizens can move around Europe, for example. But by and large, you'll need a student visa. And you need to apply for it early because very often government bureaucracy is not the fastest. And you will have to make sure you turn in the right paperwork. Now, the best way to approach this is to approach the admissions office at your university because they have right. people there who are experienced experts in helping foreign students get a visa. And so that would be your first and most important thing to do. Talk to the admissions office at your university and find out exactly how they can help you and what paperwork you need to submit to whom and, of course, when. Right. Next one on my list would be size. You mentioned yeah. uh, uh, different you know, sizes of universities and locations. And really, again, that goes back to finding the right place for you. 
you know, if you like uh, walking in the woods or or uh, hiking, or if you like riding a horse, or you're a, a beach person, or you're a sailor, uh, your real passions lie. You know, you really should be uh, aware of that. Is not is that right? Yes, it is. Um, I mean, we, we mentioned before, do you want to live and study in the middle of a big city like New York or London? Sure. Or would you rather go somewhere smaller? Um, but there is a little bit more to it than just the, the sheer physical size and number of people at the university, although that's clearly a factor. A larger university will almost certainly have a larger offering of courses. Right. We talked just now about electives. Um, if, if your university has offers you the flexibility of taking some other programs alongside, then um, a larger university will, in theory at least, have a, a larger offering of courses. Okay, and so that's really important. And, and then, you know, there's the whole list of other things, I guess, counselling, medical care. What, what kind of things should you bear in mind? Uh, that may be relevant to specific types of students or 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 uh, uh, relevant in a specific situation? Well, let's start with medical care. Um, almost every country requires you to have some sort of medical insurance. Right. I would say the first step is to talk to your parents and find out whether your current medical insurance actually covers you in the country to which you plan to travel and, and the place where you want to uh, study. Um, and we mentioned medical, this uh, in yeah. relation to costs uh, uh, in, in a previous podcast because you know, yeah. medical coverage can be uh, significantly expensive depending on the location that you're you're yeah. travelling to. Okay, so and medical care, you, also the quality of care, I guess, yeah. um, that you want to, to receive. Uh, again, you know, uh, uh, being in London as opposed to being in a small town in uh, – uh, on one of the northern islands of Scotland, for example, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, it really is location based as well, is it not? It is, and and also if if you know that that you have some sort of medical problem or medical need, um, you need to check out whether your university or the campus has a medical centre, something as simple Indeed. as that. And many yeah. of them do. Uh, what, are they manned twenty four seven? You know, questions like that. You, you can okay. very easily find that information on the university's website. What else will we be looking at? Um, counseling. Uh, counseling really comes in, in, in two forms here, I would say. There's the academic counseling. Uh, you'll have an academic tutor in most universities, someone that you can go to when you have a problem with your course or maybe you want to change course. Um, any, any questions relating to your academic program. And then there's the social emotional counseling. Right. It can be quite stressful and upsetting uh, to start at university if, if, if you feel homesick. Um, but there, there is, uh, most universities have a, a very well-developed social-emotional counselling service. So if you feel in need of that, then certainly reach out. They're there to help you. Right. And, and learning support as well, I think, uh, yeah. is another area. Yeah, learning support is, uh, is something which is very important because uh, so, some students uh, have, have some sort of learning difficulties or problems. Um, universities will often ask you to, to put this on the application form. And students are a little bit frightened that they might get rejected if, if they list some learning problem. In most universities, it's quite the contrary. They would like to support you, but of course, if they don't know you're coming and if they don't know what type of learning support you need, 
it's difficult for them to put that support in place. So it really helps them with their forward planning. Right. And to contextualize all of this, uh, who are the people you should talk to uh, uh, when you're trying to make these choices around which university, which country? Um, a lot of universities have um, a person in the admissions office who is responsible for a particular geographical area okay. or country. And so reach out and contact that person because that's the person who will be answering all your questions. And of course, to contextualize your thinking, your parents should be uh, uh, deeply involved, should they not? Oh, yes. Um, we, we're talking really about the things you need to consider when selecting a university. Indeed. And last but certainly not least, are your parents, uh, because your parents have a, a keen interest in all of this. They obviously want you to be happy and successful. So you do need to talk to your parents about you know, what the limitations are, um, both in terms of where they're prepared to let you go in terms of geographical location and also, as we mentioned before, what's the budget? How much money can they afford to spend on you? Indeed. Okay, so let's suppose you've done all of this, you've, you've gone down the road, you've looked at all the factors, you've made your shortlist, but you're undecided as to which country, which country to go. You've, you're there, you've got these shortlists. What, what should you do? You've got a shortlist for America, shortlist for, for, for um, Canada, one for the UK, I don't know, one for Europe, wherever. Well, how do you go ahead uh, uh, when you're in that situation? Well, most applications take place uh, during the period of September until winter break of your final year in school. Right. Um, so I would recommend that you go ahead and apply to all the ones on your shortlist, irrespective okay. of which country they're located in. What you're really doing is delaying the moment of choice or decision. <laughs> um, and it, it, it is a lot to try and decide when you're just starting your penultimate year, or sorry, your final year of school. So if you apply to multiple countries, that's all fine. And then gradually the universities will respond to you and they will offer you a place. So once you get around to around about April or May, um, you can see which universities have offered you places. And this is when you're, you're going to have to commit to a university. Because right. sooner or later, you have to make that decision. But at least it, gives, it buys you a bit of time, and it also allows you to see who actually wants you, who's going to offer you a place. Indeed, and Wixby's got loads of uh, units uh, based around this process. And, and you know, one of the things that I know is, you know, you get the author and whether your heart, whether, you, you know, you feel really excited or whether in that moment you're like, oh, and often it's the initial reaction to the, the author that, that can help you uh, focus and crystallize your decision. I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very invigorating for students to get that first offer. When that first offer comes in, you really feel that you are going to be a university student soon. It all becomes real because a university wants you. Up exactly. until that point in time, it's just been a theoretical discussion, such as the one we're having here. This university and that university of paperwork and deadlines and so on and so forth. But once you actually have a concrete offer, it all becomes very real. Students usually experience a mixture of emotions at this moment, everything between fear and excitement. So, Jeremy, finally, have you got any 
you know, final tips, the big things that everyone should keep in mind when they're choosing the university. So what fits then? Yes. First of all, start early. This is all going to take. <laughs> I think we've this heard is, that before. I, I think you have, and you're going to hear it again. This is all going to take longer than you expect, especially if you're looking at multiple countries, multiple systems. Um, set yourself some priorities. This will help you narrow down a vast potential pool of universities and generate that short list we were talking about. And finally, never apply to a university unless you're seriously prepared to go there. Yeah, um, and I think we, that one is so yeah, important, it isn't is, it? it is, yes. I mean, for you example... Know, you really so need to think about, you know, uh, really? Really? Am I really going to do that? <laughs> uh, because often, as you said, as you mentioned earlier, it's a, a sort of academic exercise. Yeah, but in is. reality, this isn't an academic exercise at all. This is about your life for three or four, potentially more years. Uh, uh, and so, you know, you, it really needs to be made concrete as soon as possible, doesn't it? As an example of this, um, I've, I've seen students applying to the UK. It's a centralized application process. You can click in five universities and they didn't actually have five on their list. So they right. just picked in another one or two because it's just drop boxes. It's really easy to do. And these were universities they had no intention of going to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is a waste of everyone's time, especially you as a student. Well, and I think the other thing uh, that we've been talking about, you know, we talked about location. You know, the difference between the University of British Columbia and the University of Northern British Columbia in terms of uh, maybe one word in the title, but is uh, about <laughs> 27 degrees uh, in the winter, i.e. Uh, northern British Columbia is in a location that probably goes down to minus 30, 40 uh, for half of the year. And uh, UBC is based in, you know, relatively mild and temperate uh, uh, Vancouver. And so, you know, the idea of it, as opposed to the reality, is critically important, isn't it? I think you, you raised a good point there, uh, sort of climate zones, because if you come from oh, a tropical huge. country and you have never experienced cold weather, and then you wind up in northern British uh, Columbia, uh, yeah, it will be quite a shock to the system. And similarly, if you come from a cold northern country and you go and study in a place where the temperature never falls below about 25 or 30 degrees, uh, that could also be tough. Yes, it's and these things, are, as I was saying, about the reality of being there on a yes. day-to-day basis. Yes. It's really, really important. But thank you, Jeremy. What are you going to be getting up to this evening? Uh, anything exciting planned? Well, I'm continuing my exciting city slicker lifestyle. When we finish this, I've got to uh, run up to the local train station here in Vienna and uh, meet my wife who's coming in. Uh, so not I'm too bad. Her back and Carry her Make her a cheese sandwich. Cheese sandwich? Now, there's an idea. No, I've been pushing the boat out. I went round to the local Chinese restaurant and got some sushi. Oh, wow, wow. You, you know, that is true love. That's, That's true it, love. It is, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. This episode was sponsored by Wigsbury.com. Wigsbury is a month-by-month guide to the journey from grade 10 to university. Check it out at Wigsbury.com.